0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand.
1: This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. People in Oregon can now legally take the psychedelic drug psilocybin in supervised settings. Oregon voters passed Measure 109 in 2020. Then came years of rulemaking because the Oregon Health Authority had to create a first-in-the-nation system. It includes licenses for the manufacture, testing, sale, and use of psilocybin under the watch of trained facilitators. Now, a handful of service centers are up and running. We're going to hear from the owners of two of them today— We start with Kathy Jonas. She is the owner of Epic Healing Eugene, which became the first licensed service center in May and started seeing clients in June. Kathy Jonas, welcome. Hello there. Why did you want to get into this particular business?
2: Well, that's a long story, but the uh, short version is I had an ayahuasca experience in 2015, and during that experience working with psychedelics, the plant medicine ayahuasca, I had a... um, uh, communication that told me I was destined to do deeper work with people. And as a, a clinical social worker, this turned out to be one of those pathways for me to do that.
1: So when voters approved this in 2020, I mean, it th- was sort of that was a a state sanctioned dream come true.
2: It seemed to be. It was a surprise that it happened. I had uh, a feeling that I was destined to do deeper work with people in 2015 during that ayahuasca experience. But then when it was like 2019 that there was talk about this actually being able to happen in 2020, I really wanted to be on board to see if I could be part of it.
1: One of the hallmarks of a lot of psychedelic experiences is that it can be hard to translate them into words, to communicate them to other people because they're, they can be so inward. But what was it about that experience for you that made you want to actually s- switch places and be the facilitator as opposed to the client?
2: Um, that is actually a very beautiful question and something that really shapes my work right now is that I remember being taken care of so well by the shamans who took care of me in Peru. And I wanted to be able to do that for other people because it was so transformational and healing for me.
1: I wanna skip forward. Um, We've talked over the last couple of years about the, the rulemaking process, obviously, that's over. you are up and running. and you actually got a lot of national publicity for being the first service center to open. What did that mean in terms of interest from potential clients?
2: Well, that was quite the surprise in um, of how much interest there was initially and continues to be Uh, this is we get referrals from all over self referrals i mean people create their own referrals and just get onto our website but we have uh, over thirty-five thousand people i'm sorry not 35 um, 3500 people that are on our um our wait list that have reached out to us And the need is so great that people are looking for um, some way of having healing or a transformational experience in their life. And this is really um, Michael Pollan, you have to thank him because. Uh, he's His book and also his Netflix series, You Can Change Your Mind, has really helped broaden the view. And this has given people a chance to think outside the box of that. Possibly there's some other ways to get healing besides the standard Western uh, medicine model.
1: 3,500 people on your waiting list. Can you mm-hmm. give us a sense for what they write?
2: Um About half of those people, well, we get about half people easily are from out of the state of Oregon that are reaching out. We even get people internationally that are reaching out, Um, and most of them, I'd say about 50 percent or greater are psychedelically naive. That means that they've never had a psychedelic experience. They've been afraid to have a psychedelic experience because of, you know, national publicity over the years, starting in 1970, where it was... um, um, made a scheduled one substance, uh, psilocybin, and all research was shut down. And so I'm sure all of us remember kind of your uh, this is your brain on drugs with the brain <laughs> with the egg frying on a um, frying pan. And so this was has been the image for many until more recently that uh, people are understanding that there is research, there is benefit. So that's a lot of people that are reaching out to us right now.
1: So that's a a bit of their background. You're saying about more than half from out of state, more than half, in your words, uh, psychedelically naive. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the reasons that they're reaching out to you? A
2: lot of trauma, uh, PTSD from either childhood or uh, military backgrounds, but I'd say even more from childhood. Uh, There is... uh, Uh, treatment-resistant depression, anxiety. And then we have a lot of people that are hoping for us to get some insight into their lives about a career change, creativity, uh, trying to get a deeper spiritual connection with themselves. We have a lot of people reaching out with uh, that have a terminal diagnosis with the end-of-care kind of like an existential angst about a fear of dying. So that is um, also a large uh, population segment. Hmm.
1: What was it like that first day when you started just seeing dozens of these stories coming in?
2: It was really humbling. Um, you know, I've been a therapist for several years, so I'm used to working in the mental health field. Um, But just having uh, droves, like we had 55 on our wait list (laughs) before it hit national news on May 5th. And then everything just exploded. And I was trying to keep up with it like I used to with uh, just like hand processing each referral, reading each referral. And then it was like so many, it was like this, Snapshot of the pain of humanity, and I certainly felt like I was carrying that for a while, um, trying to figure out, well, how can I serve everyone? And we're also really small. I, I mean, we're I'm running this out in my counseling uh, office space, so we're not large. So there's no way that we can serve as many people that are on our wait list. But well, how um, many people
1: can you serve right now on, on any given
2: week? Um. Not very many we're we maybe do um like three to five um, you know we're very small. I mean we just if we can our goal right now is to get up to like twenty a month or something like that
1: there are a thousand more people on your wait list than you can see in a week right. so how, that's right. how are you? deciding who to say yes to?
2: Well, what we do is um, we try to, for one thing, is make it really open that we are really small and the kind of setting that we have is really conducive for individuals, for couples, and groups of three that know each other already. So we're not trying to be more than we are. We have two offices. That's it, you know. And um, so what we do is we have a sister website. Uh, behi- besides the Epic Healing Eugene, we have the Radiant Heart Consulting website. And we have lots of resources on there for people to get assistance as well as to access uh, where they can go for to learn about organ silice and in other service centers for people that really want to come to us. Uh, that we have, uh, you know, people reach out directly because they want the individual care and they they want. Uh, what we have to offer and what I have to offer that I have a lot of YouTube videos out there. And so we have personal appeals about that. But sometimes what we do is we go randomly in order, Uh, you know, like it's not we can't go in order at this point. We try to do that initially, but there's just so many. So um, we just try to look for a good fit for people that uh, really want to come here. and so far um, we're it seems like we're matching pretty well with the people that are showing up.
1: Um, it seems um impossible to to try to rank people's level of trauma or to or to i mean if if you're dealing with thousands of people, many of whom are are dealing with, as you said, um, very hard to treat depression or Eternal diagnosis. I mean, do, I don't imagine you want to be in the position of deciding who needs this the most.
2: Right. And, you know, all these are really uh, very, very important questions. And they're questions that I've had to sit with in different ways um, because you know, everybody wants assistance for different reasons. And but not everybody is ready to have a deep transformational experience either. This really takes a lot of hard work to come into an experience like this, a person has to be ready to access emotions and feeling states for for a person that has felt like they tried everything and nothing has worked, psilocybin might not be the right thing right now. If somebody is in crisis and suicidal, maybe ketamine is the right thing right now. Um, So we're looking at uh, who might want to come? You know, I've, I, we're also operating, Oregon has mandated a non medical, non directive model. So uh, for people to come, they really need to be psychologically, you know, uh, able to handle a transformational shift. And so they need to be ready and hopefully they have some support outside, whether they're seeing an individual counselor, or they have a plan to see an individual counselor afterwards. Um, So we're just kind of, you know, we're offering a safe container, we're offering a very lovely small environment that's plant filled, and we have The staff here that have years of the intangible experience of being with people to help them in their transformational experience, but we're not medical, even though I have a a mental health degree and we have some nurses on our team. We're here to really support and nurturing the people that are ready for a deep shift.
1: If you're tuning in, we're talking right now with Kathy Jonas. She's the owner of Epic Healing Eugene, which is the first licensed service center for the supervised use of psilocybin in Oregon. We asked on Facebook this morning if people were interested in paying thousands of dollars to take psilocybin in a supervised session. Stephen Vertol wrote, If I felt secure in the facility and personnel involved, I would consider it. Believing it would have a value and long-term impact on me, I would. A one-time expense in the thousands sounds reasonable compared to many medications one could have prescribed for years. Matthew Riggs said, I can get them much cheaper and I'm happy to babysit you. Don't be bougie. Don't price out your friendly neighborhood mycologist. Other people then shared the Instagram handles of their favorite mushroom dealers before we shut the post down. I'm curious what you're expecting from the black market for either mushrooms alone or the supervised use. What do you think that black market is going to look like in the coming years?
2: I think it's going to boom. <laughs> it already under the underground has always been a very powerful thing. And this isn't the underground. You know, it's cost thousands of dollars to even open the doors here. Uh, being really small scale, Oregon has a lot of uh uh, costs associated with licensing fee, liability fees. You know, I mean, there's taxation issues. Being that this is a scheduled one, and so this is not the underground. And we don't, we can't get our our psilocybin from the underground. I mean, there's everything is highly ready, uh, regulated. What I think is going to happen, kind of, is that a lot of the training centers that are um, providing the training for us to go through and become licensed facilitators, you know, a lot of those facilities are, uh, facilitators are deciding not to get their license because it costs $2,000 a year to get your license to keep it. And uh, so there's going to be a growing underground of skilled facilitators and and you know it's it's just going to be like marijuana before it was really hard to get marijuana in Oregon and now that's like you know it's very easy to get marijuana so I think it's going to really change over time what would really be helpful is if the government decides that there is enough research out there to show that there is benefit to psilocybin helping people heal from a variety of emotional and mental health uh, conditions, that they will uh, deschedule it. So they'd make it more like a, a Schedule Three, like ketamine, instead of a Scheduled One, like heroin. You know, if there is something there, then it would make it less expensive for. It to for people to run a business like this.
1: I mean, there's an inter- interesting piece here. Even though people who are used to the black market are complaining online that this is going to be too expensive, that, that for the most part only wealthy people will be, will be able to take part in addition to some people with less money who, who can um, you know, get in because of discounts from premiums other people are going to play. But you're saying it might even be hard for you to break even just because of all the the, the licenses and and other state fees.
2: In um, taxes, it's really unknown what's going to happen happen with taxes um, because this is still uh, illegal per the federal government. So there's all these uh, 280e taxation. Uh, unknowns. If I was a larger service center, the larger ones are going to have a better chance of making it than a small-scale one like me trying to run a service center out of one to two offices. Uh, (laughs) And I don't run it every day because I'm also running my counseling practice still. So it opens, like, say, you know, at the most, we're going to open up three, four days a week when we really get going, maybe. And so it's really individual care. And it's very expensive to do what I'm doing on a small scale. Trying to do it on the level I'm doing it is, um, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm giving it a try. When
1: I asked you what you thought the black market would look like in the coming years, you said, I think it's going to boom, but you said it with a voice that, to my ear, sounded full of joy. I I can imagine (laughs) a business owner also being very fearful of that i'm not fearful why why not
2: because i really believe that um, that this you know psilocybin and the plant medicines have a kind of a life of their own (laughs) and it's going to find the right people and the right people are going to find it and i feel like i was led to do this work and and I will do it for as long as I can, uh, you know, for as long as I can to make a, it sustainable. If we are profitable, which, you know, then we can donate to our own pay it forward fund. And that's what we intend to do so we can increase accessibility and open our doors more if we can be uh, more profitable. Right now, we're just I'm just still catching up from all the expense of what it took to get here, um, but you know, if it is that I can keep going, then then I will, you know, be happy to increase services and roll back um, like, you know, maybe, you know, like a good percentage of our profits back into our pay it for fund to help out people that can that want to come to our our service center. But if we don't make it, <laughs> then we don't make it. You know, I'm willing to give it a try for a couple years and see what happens this next year with taxes. And I hope we can make it because it's beautiful work and I'm really enjoying it.
1: Kathy Jonas, thanks very much for joining us.
2: Thank
1: you. Kathy Jonas is the owner of Epic Healing Eugene, the first licensed service center in Oregon for the supervised use of psilocybin. We're going to turn to another pioneer in this young industry right now. Andreas Met is the co-founder and CEO of Satya Therapeutics in Ashland, which started seeing clients last month. It also has a license to manufacture psilocybin. Andreas Met, welcome to Think Out Loud. Hey, thanks
0: for having me. It's a great honor to be here.
1: Thanks for joining us. Why did you switch from the cannabis business, which you were in for a number of years, to this new business with even more uncertainties?
0: I read the uh, 2016 John Hopkins research on cancer patients like many people did, and that really hit me between the eyes and said, if you can lose the fear of death from one session of psilocybin, that's something I wanna be part of. Cause like, I haven't lost my fear of death, so it, there must be something there. Hmm.
1: D- did you, like Kathy, have your own psychedelic experience that gave you your own personal understanding of the power and possibility of this medicine?
0: I did have an experience, but it was with psilocybin back when I was 19, and I had a very powerful experience. I won't get too much into detail about it, but the message I got out of that is there's so much power inside of us, and we really think we have, and that carried me a long way to do the things I've done in my life, uh, both in work and outside of work, but it, it always gave me the courage to go back and in moments where I thought I was weak or didn't have power, I could go back to that power that I saw that evening.
1: How has your business been uh, since you started seeing clients about a month ago?
0: It's been going exceptionally well. Um, we also are a relatively small service center. We have you know more rooms than some do. But you can't just load rooms full because people make noise. So we try to see one or two. We haven't had a three-person day except in groups. But like, for example, today we're doing a session and a person is having a lot of somatic response and making a lot of utterances and you know, quite a bit of racket, so to speak, which is kind of normal. And so we had to break the group up and have, you know, the other person in a separate room. So it's, even though you might have more rooms, you still have to manage your space so that you have a great experience for everybody.
1: And this is happening right now?
0: Yeah, we have a client's in session right now.
1: How much have your clients shared with, uh, with, you uh, or, or or their facilitators about their reasons for going. It's a it's a interesting situation here, where a, as we heard from Kathy, um, the the state said this is this is not technically you know healthcare that's being provided. Yet there is research to say that um, that for 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 certain um, mental health conditions this might be beneficial but that's that's not the role you're playing. so I'm just wondering how much you all know about what's going on with your clients well,
0: I'm- that's a that's a technical question. As a service center licensee, I have no knowledge of what clients do with their facilitators because the facilitators are a completely separate entity. And I don't have the right to know what the client's medical history is at all. The facilitators are the ones who get into that. And I'm in facilitator training right now. I'll be a facilitator by the middle of October. But what I can tell you as a service center licensee is that Uh, I get requests every day Uh, we don't have a wait list Uh, we get requests every day and we immediately process them and get back to people because people are so absolutely desperate to heal Um, you asked earlier what people the conditions are from their emails I'll get an email that goes like this help explanation point I've suffered with depression for 30 years can you help me that's an email. And I typically write a really standard form back that just says, hey, we don't have a wait list. We're located in Ashland. Um, If you look at our website and look at our facilitator list, tell me if you have a preference, I'll get you in touch with them. And I just hand them off. Now, when they come in to get treated, I'll typically meet them and won't talk to them, but they'll oftentimes show up with a spouse or a loved one. And then... Sometimes in the waiting room, or so the loved one will share some of the issues or whatever. And then what I hear about afterwards is after the treatment sessions, and we've done today, this is the 26th and 27th treatment that we're doing. Uh, I'll hear from the majority of people about, oh my goodness, my anxiety is gone. <laughs> or, or this has really helped me cope. Or yesterday, a quote was, wow, I can stand up and speak for myself again. Mm-hmm. So, what we're seeing is desperation. As a service center licensee, I only have really limited knowledge because I'm, I'm not in that loop. And the facilitators have that. I hope that answers the question. Why do you
1: want to be a facilitator? As you said, you're, you're like you think you're going to get your license in just a couple months. In, in the yeah, early we're fall. practicum.
0: We're finishing practicum this week, and we're the first service center in the state to actually do practicum with psilocybin legally so basically practicum hours to become a facilitator you go through 120 hours of training and then you're required to do 40 hours of practicum and the facilitators that have been getting licensed maybe they've been doing it underground or whatever but they've been doing more like breathing exercises so we have been doing practicum this marks the end of my my faci- my journey from practicum uh, working with the clients but the question you ask is why do I want to be a facilitator I think it would be absolutely reckless to be a service center operator and not also be a facilitator because of some of the challenging situations we run into.
1: What are the challenging situations? What what might they be?
0: People, the people that are seeing us are 80% are from out of state. Most of them are very successful and have the money to come out here and take a week off from work and come out here and do one or two sessions. And they don't have any psychedelic experience and they uh, desperately want to change their situation. They typically are asking, they've done the research, they're asking for very large doses. And it, what happens is they they go into uh, these difficult, what we call loops, and they, so, you know, maybe 20%. And it's, it's, it can be relatively difficult and complicated because it's just a matter of time to help them, you know, come back. And that's a part of the process. But those challenging situations, you know, they might want to wander, they might want to go outside. We don't let them go outside, so we just have the and we're, you know, we it's just managing these difficult situations that people have on psychedelic journeys. The reason why it's good for me to be a facilitator is I'm then legally since I've met the clients, I could step in and facilitate if the other facilitator needs assistance. And I will also see clients and that's an important thing because this is very expensive and you know, we're targeting a price all-in with the cost of the medicine at $1,500 a session. Some of our facilitators are charging up to $2,700 total all-in. Some are more like $1,650. When I get my license, I'm going to be one of the people doing all-in services for $750. Today, we've actually been uh, providing some of this social equity where we're actually discounting in the group class today the two people are each paying 300 dollars for their group session including medicine so we're already working on this but by me being the facilitator i have the ability to choose the price and i can start targeting a price that gives everyone fair access because that's what this program for me is about is fair access
1: why why is that important to you
0: it's social equity i mean there it's not this 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 should not just be something for the people that can pay thousands of dollars it's nice that people can get relief from their depression um that, that have the money but what about the people that don't we have this program was founded they had a social equity committee for the program they've required every single person who gets a license has to have a social equity plan and execute on it And what my belief is, I got into this for social equity. I spent a year and a half living in the kingdom of Lesotho, seeing really, really bad poverty. And I decided when I came out of that to go into this business that I'm going to spend the rest of what I do for my career is going to be to try to help people. And that's going to really have a high social equity component to it, where people that have been um, marginalized that have you know people that don't have access we want to make access so as a company we're we, we're working with a company called a uh, group called the psilocybin access fund which is going to you know they're raising money to get people here we're talking to people to maybe bring uh, you know people here that can't afford it we'll we'll cover costs Some of these, um, third parties will help cover costs and we're going to make it happen so that people can get treated for $750 to $1,000 here. Not everybody because I can't, you know, I have to run a service center, but I have a, a colleague. He's also being licensed and we're committed to this. If you're just
1: tuning in, I'm talking right now with Andreas Met. He's a co-founder and CEO of Satya Therapeutics, which is a psilocybin service center and licensed manufacturer in Ashland. I'm curious how, how you think about the future of the black market for psilocybin or other psychedelics in Oregon. As we heard from Kathy, she thinks it's going to boom
0: in the coming years. What are you expecting uh, it's definitely booming. It's been a vibrant business um, in many places. You could call gray market activity. It's, it's, it's all these training programs. Many people are not intending to join the Oregon system. And that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. I'm a believer that, and I'm a believer because the people that come to my service center here, they are having transformational experiences. I know that for a fact because I see it happening and I follow up and they're not lying to me. These are transformational experiences. And the way I look at it is the more people there are in the gray market, the more people are gonna be helped. That being said, I think what we're doing here in Oregon is fundamentally different because we're highly regulated and we have to do by law a certain number of, we have to do a preparation session. We have to do an, well, integration is optional, but not in my service center. Everyone's getting an integration session. Because that's what's the most important. But Meaning
1: a, the, a, a conversation after the administration of the psilocybin.
0: Yes. Up until the point of administration, the most important thing going on is preparation and attention. And the greater the intention, the greater the preparation, then the better your journey is likely to be. But after all of that, the most important thing is integration. And many people feel abandoned in integration after their Experience that's been shown in the research studies that are at the big medical places. And we see it too. We have to have proper integration. And that commitment to the preparation and that commitment, while it's optional under state law, to integration separates us in many ways from the gray or black market.
1: What so what I what if anything? Drive. What worries you the most uh, about this Oregon experiment in just in the near term, in the, in the coming months or years?
0: Honestly, what I worry about the most is having enough people coming through the door to just pay the rent because we are leasing a space we have a manufacturing facility that I have to pay overhead on and you know there's not a lot of people being treated I I would say probably the ser- the most any service center is treated is maybe 30 people maybe 20 people so far to date I don't know maybe 30 or 40 if there's four service centers that's 160 people a month you you can't run a manufacturing business supplying I can I can supply the entire west coast at that rate you know, and not just let alone Oregon. And there's four manufacturers. So the issue is really getting the volume going. And the OHA has been exceptionally good, uh, in my opinion, at helping licensees get going and getting through the the backlog. And we need more service centers opening, and we need more facilitators. So really, the issue is getting more people in the door. Well, it um, seems
1: like that that issue is. I mean, well, I guess the question is. What's the ceiling for rich people who want this version of a psychedelic experience as opposed to um, the, the gray market version? And and are there enough of them for there to actually be a licensed industry
0: anywhere? Absolutely, there is enough. There are 30 million people in the United States or more that have conditions they wish they, that were gone. They want them gone now from a mental health standpoint. And... The, the people that are coming to us they don't have psychedelic experience, they're not going to go to the gray market. A lot of the gray market people I can are are basically going and having an experience, but they're already very familiar with hallucinogenics and or certainly they've done cannabis. People that come visit us haven't even done cannabis. So there's many, many, many people out there that have been very successful, have very high-paying jobs, and they're not going to go anywhere near they're in Oklahoma. They're going to who are they going to go find? Uh, and, and it's sketchy, you know, it's, it can be sketchy. So you can come into a place like I'm, I've seen the pictures of Kathy's place. I think she's running an amazing operation and our space is beautiful. And people come in here and say, wow, I can relate to this. This is a place where I feel safe. And, 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 and who are you going to trust your 30 years of anxiety and depression to? So I really believe that there are plenty of people that can afford this and will do this. And and then what are you gonna do if you're a single mother, let's say in some some lower lower income kind of place? Are you gonna go and see the guy down the street? You're gonna to wanna to come to a place like this where you're gonna feel safe, where people, you know, it's it's a, we're here to be here for the long term. I mean, Kathy said she's gonna try it for a couple of years to see how it works. That's admirable, right? Especially not knowing what the future holds. We're here to help people. And we are helping people. So I think whenever you have something that's going to help people like this does, you're going to have people coming from Um, all over the world.
1: Andreas Met, thanks very much for joining us.
0: Uh, What a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Andreas Met is the co-founder and CEO of Satya Therapeutics. It's a psilocybin service center and manufacturer in Ashland. They have been seeing clients for a little over a month now.